Hello, welcome to Quadrivia, the podcast that takes you a step beyond trivia and into the minds of the people who craft it. I'm Jason with Liquid Courage Entertainment out in the Chicago area. I am Jacob Hine with Hindsight Trivia in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm Nick John from Capital Trivia in Washington, D.C. And I'm Jeremy, also with Liquid Courage in the Chicago area. How are you guys doing tonight? Wait, Jeremy's on this recording? Why the hell am I here? I could be taking a nap. You could be taking a nap, but then we wouldn't have to uh, talk to, or you wouldn't be here to talk to uh, No, 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 Jacob. you said we wouldn't have to talk to, and I'm going to make you eat those words. Yeah, no, that, that came out wrong because I don't word well. Um, we wouldn't get a chance to have you here to uh, talk to Jacob, who is joining us for the first time. So, Jacob, I'm going to let you have the mic for the next uh, few minutes. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do, as and long why as you you're love here. Me. <laughs> as long as you love me. Okay, uh, anyway. No, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I am Jacob Hine, as I uh, mentioned before. Uh, I am from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I'm a real estate agent, woot woot. Uh, I sell and buy houses, so if you ever have any needs in the Louisville area, let me know. Uh, but uh, uh, I also run my own company, uh, if you can call it that, called Hindsight Trivia. Um, I started uh, in my trivia world uh, with James Key, the trivia nerd. Oh, if we you know guys that are guy. Familiar with him? Yeah, he's been uh, on a that guy. few times. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> um, he and I uh, worked together back in 2013, and he was hosting some. Uh, <clears throat> uh trivia nights that i was a part of and uh, i wanted to help him grade papers uh, at, his, at his events and just loved the trivia scene i'd played bar trivia prior to that uh but yeah he needed some help and so i was glad to help um and then our our friendship blossomed from there he was doing the uh local uh louisville arcade expo trivia night that i went and helped with and kind of helped write some questions for um and then uh he he told me about this thing called the trivia writers co-op on this slack channel through reddit and I uh, said, you know, I know you're not really a trivia writer, but I would love to have you join because I think you could be good in the future. And I said, okay, thanks. And then, well, here I am. And uh, through uh, peer pressure, mostly through Jason, <laughs> I uh, started streaming um, some trivia on my Twitch channel, uh, Hindsight, or on twitch.tv slash Hindsolo. And then um, started uh, in a live venue uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, here in Louisville, and uh, it's going swimmingly. So, see, you say it's going swimmingly, but remember, the entire plan was to get you comfortable with hosting by by pushing you on a Twitch, so that I could own you, yes, and, and the Louisville market. And how did that turn out? Uh, I, I betrayed you, Jesus. I betrayed you so <laughs> bad, and I'll uh, I'll find a way to make it up to you. I promise. Uh, here, here's a very important uh, side question to that, though. You yes. said you're friends with James. Are yes. you also helping him with his new ladder business? Um, so <laughs> do you, you know, have look, 15 to 20 minutes to go yeah. into detail about this business? <laughs> no. Because I promise you we could roll the footage. Oh, uh, I, you know, we could just as a throwback. I was fortunate enough to hear that episode uh, a couple days ago and I laughed my ass. Off. I actually texted him as I was listening to the episode. He goes, I don't know how I got off on ladders for so much. Like, we went into a full discussion about ladders. And of course that was all a throwback to Corey's uh, ingenious uh, storytelling when it comes to how to spend $4,000. So um, I just remember seeing a, a person called sad Brontosaurus on the old Slack channel who would just talk about all these ways to spend $4,000. And it just, it just made me so happy. So. I know it was really nice getting back to the, the old, the halcyon days of, yes. of the co-op for sure. Yes. You know, before we brought in people like Jeremy. Yeah, you know, 
<laughs> they let anybody in here nowadays. I'm just saying. Speaking of Nick, you've been su- suspiciously quiet. I just didn't have much to. Uh, you guys are talking about everything that Jacob has going on. That's awesome that you you know have a show. I don't have anything well, here in DC. And Nick, I know... you, you don't need an introduction because there's really only one awesome trivia host named Nick in the Washington <laughs> DC area, and we all know it. So I've heard. I so I've heard. I actually haven't had a chance to meet um, other Nick yet, but uh, I'm, I'm sure that that time is coming. I know he he runs a great company here um, called District Trivia. Um, I've been to one or two of his shows before COVID hit, um, but uh, definitely looking forward to eventually getting shows here in DC. But I'm certainly in no rush to do so. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Liquid Courage, as far as getting back into the live swing of things, uh, starts in. I, I want to say kind of gusto uh tomorrow as of time we're recording we get back into a couple old venues uh the beautiful thing is i since jacob wouldn't fucking work for me uh, i found somebody who would and i still get to sit here in my basement bunker and and dick around and write trivia questions and not see people it's great pantsless of course i was there another option oh uh, yeah i mean i don't even know why i brought it up uh, wait yeah. we're supposed to wear pants oh jeremy See, and now I wonder this because I've had this conversation with people. So I'll ask you, three people who have absolutely no skin in the game, are leggings pants? Mm. If you would have asked me four years ago, I would have said no, but I feel like I can't say no anymore. Um, <laughs> I, I just can't. And, I, and that was when I was an old fuddy-duddy, you know. Mm. I, I've really grown into my youth, if you know. So, <laughs> uh, yes, leggings are pants. Okay. Nick, opinions? Sure. I, I would say so. Um, I actually, I don't wear leggings on the regular. Um, I actually wear, um, I love that the leg, implication leg- is you irregularly wear leggings, but carry on. <laughs> uh, I would say like, I think that depends on the person. I don't know enough about them having never worn them, but I mean, I guess if somebody considers them like some kind of just like casual wear and not pants, then they're not. But if somebody considers them their pants, then I guess they are. I don't know. You know, my cousin, uh, I found out a couple weeks ago is, well, I've, I've known for a long time that she's a graphic artist. What I didn't know is that she had like an Etsy shop. Uh, and it turns out that she had men's leggings available and the style was awesome. And I bought them and I've worn them and they do all kinds of wonders mm-hmm. for the self-esteem vis-a-vis the front. Oh, very, very nice. Very I, nice. I would imagine they do because they are very tight. And as someone who wore a singlet for like three years in high school when I wrestled. Yeah. Oh, no, we got to get into this now. I didn't know you wrestled. I wrestled. You knew I wrestled. No, I didn't. I knew you were the wrestler's body. I didn't know you wrestled. What was your stage name? (laughs) Uh, Not that kind of wrestling. Although that would have been way more fun. That would have been way more fun. Um, No, I was uh, on the high school wrestling team. Uh, But yeah, those were not comfortable. Uh, As a bigger guy, not comfortable at all. And they tugged on things that was very uncomfortable. That oughtn't be tugged in public. Exactly. See, and they say that trivia is a male-dominated space for some reason. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, do you want to bring us into our roundtable discussion? I think we fucked around long enough on this yeah, one. Sure, absolutely. And I'd, I'm really excited to hear what some of the newer guys in the trivia space here have to think about it, too, because I come at this topic from having worked in restaurants and bars, and so from the other side of it, and like what you would pay people to come in and do things. And you guys have all mo- mostly done it from the business side of things where you're trying to tell people what to pay you. Uh, and that is the topic tonight is money. Um, how much do you charge the venue? Uh, what do you do you charge the venue or the players? Uh, is there a cover charge? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you get sponsors to cover it? What do you pay your help that comes in and does it when you're not doing it yourself? Things like that. 
Um, so I think we could, uh, I think there's a lot for us to digest here. Um, and to really go into as we uh, talk through this. So yeah, I think we have four different kind of perspectives on this. We have, um, you know, I'll, I'll handle the, you know, old hat business owner kind of perspective, Jeremy coming in as subcontracted talent. Um, and also from the other side of the coin, as you mentioned, uh, Jacob is brand new. Uh, and Nick, uh, you used to work for a national franchise. Is that right? That is true. We might mention them later. We might, we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> until they're sponsoring us they don't they don't need the name drop that is true so um yeah i guess i'll, I'll bring us in uh first and foremost um let's let's establish what we're talking about uh when i say that we're talking initially about like weekly recurring uh public facing events for bars and restaurants that pay you uh as a company largely to bring in other people and to provide entertainment that kind of thing so just so we know what's on the table for for purposes of the start of this talk uh jacob you just started your first one of these shows a couple of weeks ago you said uh, earlier right yes that's correct um how how did you figure out your price point i'm genuinely curious to hear the the uh, the origin of that well, there were a couple of different aspects that I had to look at. Uh, this venue is not close to where I live, so I have to travel about uh, 35 minutes to get there. Okay. Um, so I had to I had to take that into consideration. Um, but, you know, beyond that, it was uh, a breakdown of how much time I have to spend writing a game for that week, um, how much time I'm actually physically there, um, you know, asking questions and running the game itself, um, supplies that I bring along. Um, and then obviously distance that I talked about earlier. So, you know, when it all came down to, I really wanted to, um, bring in between 100 and $150 per show. Um, and, um, the agreement that the bar owner and I came to was a hundred to start and we'll kind of see how sales increase because obviously my job is to get butts and seats and mm -hmm. to grow his, um, you know, profit from a, a bar standpoint. And I think so far we've done that. Um, and he's been tickled to death with the, with the, um, results he's gotten in terms of his financial uh, um, increase. But, you know, um, we start out with $100 per show, which I think is fair. I'm, I'm new. I didn't really want to let him know that because, <laughs> right. you know, I'm, I'm here to provide entertainment. I don't want to give off a newbie vibe. Um, but I think it was fair that, you know, this is my first show, really get my, really jump in because um, I'm different. I, I started trivia on the online space, not in a, in a trivia a live trivia game like you all did so uh it was different for me to walk into a venue even though i've been to one as a player never hosted one live so um you know that's kind of where it started with me so i think it's important though to uh especially if you're selling yourself to the venue um yeah walk in as a professional they don't yeah. need to know it's your first show Right. Um, and, and secondly, it really isn't your first show. It's your first forward facing show, like with people in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, but you've been doing trivia like you're yeah, you're not sure. a newbie to trivia at all. Uh, you've been in the co-op a long time. Uh, you've been writing questions a while. So, you know, lean on that, especially if you get like a lot of questions from them, like, well, oh, yeah, I've been doing trivia for however long you've been doing it. You don't have to say this is your first you know, forward facing show. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Sometimes less is more in those negotiations. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I tried to lean on that too. I mean, exactly what you said, Jeremy, I, I, you know, I did mention that, yeah, I've, I've, I've been doing this, I've been hosting trivia. I didn't need to go into details about where, but I have been hosting trivia for, you know, six months now. So, um, you know, that's kind of where it all started. 
Yeah, and the other the other thing I want to bring to the the table on that point is that you, as somebody connected in the trivia space, knows a lot more about the local trivia competition than your owner necessarily knows. Hmm. Yeah. So you know yeah. you understand intrinsically the the market that you're in a little bit better than they do, even if you're relatively new to it. Uh, especially yeah. you with the the journey that you've taken um, through working with James and and the co-op, and then uh, your online presence for sure. So. Uh, yeah, you said uh, you're you're making a hundred bucks right now. Um, I know that that number is going to vary wildly from person to person, from company to company, and from region to region, even here in the U.S. Hmm. Um, yeah. That would be that would be a cut cost here, for instance, in the Chicago area, where I would look at a company and say, okay, well, they're they're coming in to undercut uh, what kind of standard fare is, but. You know, I also work in the third largest market in the United States and right. one of the higher cost of living areas. So that's going to be a factor to, to take into effect for sure. Like I could probably charge more if I was working out in Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York uh, than the, you know, about $150 per show that we charge now uh, here in the Chicago area. And as I look to kind of expand uh, franchise out, if you know anybody in Louisville, by the way, please let me know. Um, I'll have to take that into consideration for sure. I'm going to take all your shows. <laughs> Which of you motherfuckers just said that? Not I, I don't Lord. know what you're talking not about. Nope. It wasn't see, I, Lord. See, the thing is, uh, in the recording studio that we're using, you guys can't see who talked, but I can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick, how about you out in the... Uh, you've worked in a couple different markets, actually. Um, well... Yeah. I, you know, I'm going to let you speak to it because I'm not sure that that's the most accurate statement in the world, but uh, go ahead and, and grab the mic. No, I mean, I, I have hosted um, in three different markets. Um, started in Buffalo, um, working for unnamed uh, franchise, and then moving um, to Ohio State, uh, Columbus in Ohio. Um, worked for a small company there for about three weeks before quitting because the owner was an ass. Um but then um, kind of taking his format and bringing it back to Buffalo um, <laughs> to compete with um, my old company and then ended up moving to D.C. where I am now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I haven't hosted here in D.C. proper yet, um, but I, I have enough I have enough knowledge about the market to kind of figure out where my um, my goals are in terms of of charging mm -hmm. venues. OK, uh, so when you were. When you were working with unnamed company out in Buffalo, uh, I have two questions for you, and you definitely would have the answer to one. You might have the answer to the other. It depends on what that circumstance was. Uh, and those questions are, what was the bar or restaurant paying the company uh, for a weekly event? Uh, and then what was your take as subcontracted uh, talent for it? Sure. So um, the going rate um, for established shows was $150 a show. Okay. Um, that was pretty much across the board it could have been an applebee's that pulls in 80 players or it could have been you know joe's corner bar that had 30 players um it didn't matter how many people were there there wasn't a bonus there wasn't a deduction for having mm -hmm. a, a slow night um then in terms of a um what the hosts took took back um 15 an hour um and then also um within the the agreement that the company the franchise had with each venue was that you would have a bar tab um, for food and drink as um as needed so it got to be about you know 
it was a two hour show. So you, essentially you're walking out with like 50 bucks. But, you know, a, a not insignificant portion of that is in like food and bev sounds like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because so this was this would have been like 2000 and. 10 mm-hmm. 2011 so 10 years ago it's it's a little bit different than it is now obviously um but um you know 15 dollars an hour for a, a kid who just would be able to hang out at a bar and ask questions that he didn't write that suck um <laughs> you know i guess it wasn't a a, a horrible thing to do it was a nice uh, social event is kind of what pushed me to really branch out because I hated the content so much. But again, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, it was, it was generally about 50, 60 bucks, depending. Um, and there were obviously di- different um, options for making extra money, things like helping set up other shows, training mm-hmm. hosts, stuff like that. So Okay. Um, but the, the big takeaway that I that I get from that is that the uh, the larger, you know, entity was was pulling about 80% of the revenue uh, off of a show that you were hosting. Is that is that a not disaccurate way to, to? Yeah, um, I mean the so that eighty percent isn't full, you know, pure profit by any means. Oh um, sure, you know, sure. Obviously, with with any company, you have your your um, you have to pay for equipment, you have to pay for marketing, uh, franchise fees, stuff like that. So I I don't know what the owner ended up pulling per show. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to guess, it would probably be about seventy to eighty dollars. Um, then having them pay back you know, 50 based on, you know, whatever equipment was there. Operating expenses. Um, again, marketing, marketing stuff and, like that. Yeah, no, and, and I totally get that um, for obvious reasons with, with, with the Courage Entertainment. I just, Jeremy, um, can I pay you $15 an hour? <laughs> uh, no. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to beg to differ with that um, philosophy of of paying talent that i know some of the larger companies have and i'm going to get on a soapbox here for a hot second because i couldn't in good conscience um not pay the talent who actually do the work that generates the income um that i'm paying them from um i I couldn't pay them anything less than you know more than half of what that show paid it's and it's a thing that that harkens back to my uh introduction into pub entertainment as like a karaoke host uh, where, you know, the reality was, you know, we charge $150, $175, something in that range for, you know, a four hour event. And then when I had to have somebody, you know, fill in if I was sick or out of town or as we expanded eventually, uh, it didn't feel right to me uh, to tell them, yeah, I'm, you know, they're going to hand you an envelope at the end of the night and it's going to have $175 in it. Take 50 of that and then give me the rest. That to me feels wrong and I have built my uh, business philosophy from that kind of groundwork and it extends in uh, to the trivia space for sure. So, uh, and Jeremy can attest to this, but my my hard pressed kind of line in the sand is I don't make more than you make as a talent operating my show. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. And that was one of the things when I worked for um, the company when I was with, in Columbus, um, it was kind of the same idea. The, the, the host or the owner charged the, the venue $150 and we had to come up with our own content um, and we would be paid $50 for that show uh, for two hours of essentially 120 questions and hosting, um, which was absolutely obscene. Um, so when when I kind of got out of that, I was like, I if I ever do this and I ever have somebody working for me, they are going to make more money than I do, hands down. I, I'm being paid to 
to establish and maintain the company. Whereas mm -hmm. the hosts who work for me, and we'll, I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, um, are responsible for essentially being the face of the company. Um, so they deserve more money than I get paid. Yeah, to me, that's those are the two sides of the coin when, when it comes to like a weekly pub trivia event. It's the providing of the content and then the presenting of the content. And it sounds like out in Ohio, you were doing both sides of the coin and then paying someone for the privilege. Yeah, we had a little bit more. Um, the, the equipment that we had was was very expensive. Um, like we had buzzers. And oh, okay. I, we had the DigiGames buzzers. I don't know if anybody knows uh, what those I'm are. familiar with them by yeah, reputation, them. but I haven't used yeah. them personally. A set of 10 is about $1,200. Right. Okay. So, and the maintenance of those things as well is, is not cheap. Um, so not to excuse being paid anything less than, you know, what's fair. But yeah, we, we were very we were responsible for content and presenting the content. So it was very difficult um, for it to make sense, even as a, just a, you know, undergrad student at, at OSU, mm -hmm. trying to establish like, hey, you know, this makes sense. I should be, keep doing this. I literally, I think I quit after two months. Okay. I, I can't say I blame you on that, but it is, yeah, now that you explain it in a little more detail, it is a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison because that sounds, to me, I'd call that more of a game show than a pub trivia night. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong on kind of the read on that. Um, no, it's, it was, the, the game was more like Jeopardy where you had 10 teams and every team would get a buzzer and whoever buzzed in first got to answer. Um, so it was, it wasn't like, you know, write it down or like okay. we have now with, um, with Triv now or crowd per, like some of us use, um, it's not like that, but yeah, it's kind of more of a, a game show like Jeopardy, um, for using those buzzers. It's not like, you know, when we have our, one of the, um, pages that a bunch of us are on that they try and, uh, promote all of these, you know, family feud style games and mm -hmm. stuff like that. It wasn't anything like that. No. Oh, okay. So it was more of like a quiz bowl experience than it was a game show. Yes. Gotcha. I think I can kind of visualize that now. So yeah, I can see, you know, for obvious reasons, if, you know, person A owns the company that you're working under, they have to generate some revenue. That's capitalism. That's how this all works. Uh, and I get that. And they also incur a lot of the costs, as you said, especially with like equipment and stuff. Um, so that has to be taken into consideration for sure, as far as, you know, the distribution of, of money to your talent. Uh, Jeremy. Well, I actually kind of want to jump in on that too. Um, I feel that if you're using that much more of expensive equipment and all that, all those extra things, that's something you could take to the venue as the owner and say, all right, well, this is going to cost 50, you know, $75 more per show because of all this extra equipment. And that way I can pay my talent, <laughs> um, you know, a little bit more than the 10 or $15 an hour to get up in front of everybody and put this on because they're using such expensive equipment. Um, it's, yeah, it's but I would see the counterpoint thing. to that in all honesty being, you know, pricing yourself out of a market. Well, right. But you're doing something different and you're using, uh, I mean, there's a lot of pub trivia out there that does just, we, we've talked about this before, with just, you know, papers and pencils mm -hmm. and that's the overhead, um, you know, on the laptop, or whatever they're reading off of. Um, cause most of those don't even use TVs. Uh, and that's a lower overhead than somebody using, Hey, I'm going to come in. I'm going to put on a show. We're going to have TVs. We're going to have buzzers. We're going to break everybody down to teams. We have this whole system that integrates all this. That's a selling point. No, and I agree I'm with you there. You, you wanna... definitely want to turn your costs into an opportunity to make income. I just, my worry would be as, as we kind of put this out, you know, to the audience that, you know, if 
I'm a venue owner and, you know, brand A, which looks pretty good, is going to come in at $150. And brand B, that looks better and flashier, is going to come in at like 50% above that quote. Uh, the question to me becomes, are they so good that they're going to increase my revenue an additional 50% to offset their cost? I think part of that comes into uh, you start lower and you, you talk this out. You'd have a contract or something ready mm -hmm. with the owner and say, all right, I'm going to come in. I'm going to charge you exactly what the other place is going to charge you. I'm going to show you how it's going to raise your it's return on investment. This this comes into the more of the business side of things. Mm -hmm. um, can you show me that my you know that my from a business owner standpoint, can you show me that my sales are going to go up, my bar tabs are going to go up, my average uh, amount of people in this restaurant is going to increase, and if so, the the return on investment with that, like I can pay you more because I'm making a lot more. Yeah, it's, at and, that at that point, it becomes an everyone wins scenario, which is obviously kind of what you're aiming for. Right. Um, like I said, I, I'd like that idea just with what you're saying with like the buzzers and everything. It's like, okay, well, if, if the owner feels like they have to pay everybody less, they're doing something wrong. I, I had a follow-up question really for Nick. Um, with the unnamed trivia company that you were working for, did you feel like because um, you as the talent and not, not the, the company owner were, were not being paid accordingly, did you feel like there was a higher turnover of hosts um, and if the answer is yes, a follow-up question to that would be, did did people stop coming because they noticed that there was a high turnover of hosts and maybe the host they liked isn't there anymore because he didn't like working for the company? And did that affect sales at the bar? Sure. So um, to answer your first question, that really wasn't um, the in terms of turnover. Obviously, there would be some people who would leave because like, I, it doesn't make sense for me to do this for $15 an hour. But when you're recruiting essentially college students and you know, people who have day jobs are just looking for something to do at night, an extra, you know, 30, 40 bucks in your pocket, just because like you were going to go to the bar and play trivia anyways, you might as well, you know, host it, make money, have fun. Like, so, like he, he would try and promote it a little bit differently. Um, I know that um, he has changed that recently. Um, not that the, his, his fees have changed, but as he's been able to add more shows to his arsenal weekly. I think he's up to like 40 shows a week now. Um, he doesn't need to take as big of a cut. He could take a little bit less of a cut and give that to the to the talent so he can establish, you know, he can have, you know, a good six, seven, eight hosts doing four shows a week at, you know, X amount of money. And there he, he can keep more his more reliable hosts um, on board without having to lose them, not necessarily to any other companies, because really there's like two other companies uh -huh. in Buffalo, um, and nobody's really challenging, you know, that group because they have so many damn shows. Um, oh, give me time. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> me, me too. Me too. I, we're actually starting a brand new show there uh, in two weeks, so I'm excited. Oh, congratulations um, on that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We haven't announced it yet, so I guess I'm. I'm you letting just you guys did. know first. <laughs> yeah, let's go. By the time this comes out. It'll... You know, that's true. It'll we'll be have uh, two shows so. under our belt by then. So fantastic. Good for you. Um, yeah, no, yeah, it sounds so. like, uh, you know, to that point, it's it's that rising tide lifts all mo all boats uh, mentality that I would love to get into, really. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to make my money personally off of volume instead of not. Like, I don't know things, where I was going with that sentence when I, I started. Well, it, the, just kind of end like loop that back to what you were talking about is like keeping the talent. Um, the thing is, if you're constantly undercutting people, um, I, I mean, as far as paying for your paying your hosts, um, they're not going to stick around. And venues notice that. Players at the venues notice that. That's kind of what I was getting at because yeah. 
the the more turnover you have, people are gonna be like, hmm, something's fishy here. And then the the bar owners are gonna get pissed because, you know, you're maybe not keeping your regulars at that point. Yeah, because they, yeah, people will it, come to see a host. <laughs> oh no, that's definitely true. And I I when I started my own company, I kind of poached a bunch of players because they knew I was hosting. the The main issue with some of these larger companies that you know. Um, turn hosts over is that the hosts aren't writing the content. So they're, the questions aren't in their voice necessarily. Um, and so there's not a lot of control in terms of that. So essentially you're not really hosting, you're more facilitating the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not as much of a, a demand unless for some reason you have this amazing voice that, you know, just supersedes like any sort of like other thing. Um, and it can kind of make up for the fact that the content's so terrible, um, which in my case, luckily was the case for the shows that I hosted. Um, but there are so many people who are just like pressing buttons and rarely talking on the microphone and they're inputting stuff into a program that was written 25 years ago. So, um, you know, I, I don't harbor any bad feelings against this company, obviously. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, like in terms of like host turnover, it's always tough. Like even, you know, for, um, I don't know, um, uh, Jason, if you've lost any hosts over the course of, you know, running stuff, but I've, I've lost a host, um, due to, you know, personal reasons, like mm-hmm. they didn't hate hosting, but it was more of like a, you know, I need to focus more on home stuff or focus on work. Um, so I can't do this anymore. So trying to fill that part, that's hard. That's really difficult. Yeah, I've had a, a handful of really quality uh, staff members over the years that, you know, like you said, for personal like life reasons, you know, change of job, change of venue kind of thing. Um, you know, they, they worked for me for a number of years and then it didn't make sense for them to be working nights anymore. Uh, fortunately, I don't think I've ever lost any talent because they weren't happy with, you know, the content or the, or the company or the way I ran it. But I have lost uh, over the years a number of really good people uh, just because their day job situations changed or they got married and had kids or they had to move Ugh. out of state, that kind of thing. Right? Come on. People with their kids, Jeremy, I tell you. I know, God. Uh, Who does that? Oh, I can't work Wednesdays because that's the one day a week I see my people I like. <laughs> that was my Jeremy impression. It was spot on. Oh, it was, it was great. I couldn't I even tell I thought that was Jeremy talking. Yeah, I, yeah, really, I did. Yeah, I did too. It was weird. Like the voice <laughs> in my head, it was so strange. That sounds familiar. Uh, Jeremy, what is the least I could pay you and still have you work for me? <laughs> Um, we should probably go. This yeah, is, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll just say the least would be what, what I have now. How's that? Oh, damn it. Fine. <laughs> nice try. Well now, done. Now, now, I will say this. Jeremy um, may may or may not agree, but I feel as though Jeremy, uh, for the work he puts in, makes a decent output economically with Liquid Courage Entertainment. And I am very fortunate in that I can rely on Jeremy to uh, provide some content as well. It's not just that he's a pretty face. Thank God. Well, thank God. Yeah, because yeah, that, that's, that's not part of it. Yeah, he does writing. He does tech support. He is he's really my man Friday here in the LK Nation. Um, I wouldn't be as comfortable where I am today if it weren't for him. He is probably the greatest find I've had in 17 years. And if I could pay him less, I would. <laughs> wow. I don't know how to process this. I, that's just economics, buddy. <laughs> But yeah, no, I'll say this. It comes to, you you said paying talent, just wrap it up is basically pay them what you think they're worth. And if you pay somebody well, they're liable to stick around and they're liable to work hard and to build your brand. If you're paying somebody pennies, 
on the dollar of what you're bringing in and they see that and they don't feel appreciated, they will go somewhere else or they'll just find a different job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, that bleeds over to your shows and to the venue and it's not a good look for a company. And I'd say here in the last couple of years as the, the economic model, at least in the US, has become more you know of a gig economy, it's actually, it's getting harder to find people who are available for the kinds of gigs that we have for them because they're already out doing Uber or DoorDash or OnlyFans, Jeremy, or whatever, you know? Uh, so finding something that that fits in that specific like three to four hour window is is weirdly actually getting harder than it was even a couple of years ago where, you know, the goal was to have your, you know, nine to five, 40 hours a week, and then maybe supplement that with some side hustle money. It's becoming a side hustle economy more and more. And um, if we were a smarter podcast, we could absolutely talk about that. But I think we should move on uh, and and maybe talk about and I don't know um, how much input Jeremy and or Jacob may have on this. But uh, Nick, I'll kind of throw it to you. Do you do a lot of private events? So I I did um, a few when I was in Buffalo. We'd work with um, you know various uh, charities and uh, different groups like that, like women's clubs, which are are always interesting. Um, but I pretty much, um, in terms of private events with money, um, I treated it as if we're doing this show once and we may never get it again. Mm-hmm. But we want to make sure it's affordable for every for all parties. Um, but it makes sense for me. Like if I'm doing a Saturday, a show on a Saturday night, it's got to be, you know, good enough for me not to say no. Um, right. I generally would look at a, a private event and a lot of it, there's a lot of other variables. If I'm traveling for 40 minutes, um, you know, if, you know, for some reason, like if you're having food, you know, I want food, you know, they pretty much like I, you take a lot of different things into consideration. Um, but I would generally charge between 200 and $250 for a show, depending on a lot of, a lot of those variables. Um, I learned quickly down here in DC, um, now that we're still in COVID times, mm-hmm. um, I've done actually quite a few like birthday parties and um, just like happy hours, uh, stuff like that on, on Zoom. Um, but I have happy hours coming up here uh, two in actually have one in a few days that I need to write for and one later in the month for $500 each. Oh, very um, nice. Yeah. I, I, I was working with one of my players who's on my Wednesday show and she said, you know, we're looking for something. We're doing a fundraiser for the DC, the capital area food bank. And um, we want to do happy hour trivia. Um, how much do you charge? And I said, well, funny you should ask because I don't know what to charge because this is a completely different area. I don't want to, you know, come off looking as if, you know, I'm the super cheap, you know, um, trivia because some people could do that. Some people, some, somebody, if they put it out for a bid, somebody might come in and say, I'll do it for a hundred bucks. And you know, I'm not a hundred dollar trivia show. So she said, well, let me look at what our, our, what we're looking to pull in. And then I'll give you a number and see if you're okay with that. Oh, that so they sounds went, amazing because that's they, the hardest thing that I have when it comes to private events too, is trying to figure out what that sweet spot price is. It depends because like, are you doing a fund? If you're doing a fundraiser, you don't want to pull money from whatever, you know, cause this is going to be um, like, I, we're raising money for the, for the food bank. Like, right. I don't want to take money away from the food bank, but like, I want to make sure that 
you know, I'm, I'm being paid accordingly. So they came back with a number and they said $500. And I said, I'll do that right now. Let's go. I'll, I'll do it um, with tassels on. That's a beautiful price. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think something to keep in mind with that is, uh, depending, like you said, who you're doing it for. Like mm-hmm. if it's a private company, you would definitely charge them more than you would charge just a bar for doing a weekly show. It's a, it's a premium opportunity and it's a one-off thing. So you're going to tell them, I'm going to, you know, write questions for you guys, for your company, for this event, and you can charge a premium on that. Um, if you're doing it for a charity uh, or a fundraiser or something like that, you can actually charge lower. And in a way, um, something else you could do with that is use it as a tax write-off. You're donating your time. Doing that. Yeah. that time is money uh, as far as taxes are concerned. So something to keep in mind, if, like, is if you're trying to help somebody raise money, if you're doing it for a charity, a food bank, uh, or anything like that, a children's hospital, uh, something where you're raising money, your time is a tax write-off. Yeah, yeah, good point a, there. That's a really good point. Um, because you spent, I mean, I don't know, you'd have to talk to an accountant, but you could say, well, this show would normally cost $500 plus gas plus all this stuff. That's all tax write-off. If it's for a charity. Now, they have mm. to be, oh, was it? Uh, 501c3 or whatever, yeah. yeah. Uh, 501c3, I think it is, is what you said. Yeah. Uh, like, if they are, you can get paperwork from them, and it is a, you donated your time, and you donated your equipment, and you donated your questions. That's all tax write-off. Um, but again, if it's for a private company, let's say you're doing it for, I don't know, uh, Microsoft. Enron uh, was the first private company that came to mind. Enron? <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> I don't think they're around anymore. Oh, man, I mean, what happened? <laughs> uh, some stuff. Yeah, I'm some just, real I'm just shady doing this, shit. This, this private backyard trivia thing for this uh, generous benefactor. You may have heard of him, Enron Hubbard or, or whatever. Enron, <laughs> Enron Hubbard. Hubbard. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> hey, someone's um, someone's got to keep it spicy in here. Okay, that's what I do. That's what you brought me in for. I'm spicy. Right. Um, but anyway, that's my only real input I have for private events. Um, just having done stuff before, not necessarily the trivia space, but um, from a company side of things, doing fundraisers to just helping out with fundraisers or doing a Twitch fundraiser thing. Um, stuff I've read into. Um, not that I'm going to write my Twitch time off as a like tax write-off or anything, but like uh, if you're a company going in somewhere and trying to raise money, that's something that definitely keep in mind. Um, depending on if you're trying to where to price yourself for these different events. No, that's that's really sound advice, and I wish you would have told me that several years ago. But alas, this is the the bet I'm in right now. Uh, the contribution that I will make to the idea of trying to figure out pricing for private events is to me, and the way I've done it for the last several years, uh, is to remember who's signing the check at the end of the day. Uh, if it's a big nameless corporation, um, stick a zero on the end of your quote because. The amount of money you charge them is a rounding error in some cases uh, that I'm not saying defraud a massive corporation, but, you know, they don't know in terms of bottom line, the difference between $150 and $1,500 sometimes in terms of what our worth is. So use that to your advantage Uh, as far as doing like community fundraisery events. And that's honest to God, the vast majority of the private events I do are for like local youth sports organizations or, you know, booster clubs for the high schools in the area, that kind of thing. Um, I just, I go with my gut. I know what typically the amount of work and the amount of time that I invest in an event uh, typically gets for me. And I do my damnedest to try to get as close to that number as I can while also balancing the fact that this is something that I'm going to do best case scenario once a year. 
to generate revenue. Uh, what I have found, um, at least locally and luckily, is when I do those kinds of like high school booster events, something where, you know, community, you know, parents in their 40s and 50s, they're bringing like coolers of beer and mixed drinks to, you know, the local gymnasium to, to play and get sloshed for a couple hours. Uh, I have worked out arrangements with a couple of those uh, organizers and said, you know, I'll basically give you the best, my sweetheart rate, the rate that I, you know, give the venue that I've been at the longest. Um, but in exchange, if you would be willing to make an announcement at halftime uh, and see if people are willing to, you know, donate uh, towards me as, as a tip kind of venture. Um, and what I've noticed is people will tip. People will tip a surprising amount. I have quoted out a, a fundraiser, and this was about four or five years ago, where uh, I quoted him $150. I decided I it was the first time I had done it for him. Uh, they were a really awesome group. It was a lot of fun for me, and it wasn't a whole lot of extra work. It happened to fall in a sweet spot in my schedule, so there wasn't like a, a missed opportunity cost. So I decided I was going to donate half of my uh, proceeds to the, the organization anyway. Uh, at the end of the night, um, the organizer handed me an envelope with over $600 in it saying, yeah, at halftime, uh, we, we literally passed the hat around and this is what people donated for your effort. So uh, it was it was win, win, win at that point, because I felt really, really good about what I quoted them and what I not knowing this going forward was going to do. Uh, they kept their costs very low and I walked out of there uh, both happy in my soul and happy in my wallet can't go wrong there yeah i think that's super important i mean <clears throat> well i have not done a private event personally i think you know we're not heartless people and and being able to help a nonprofit or a community fundraiser um while that may not pay monetarily funds it makes you feel better and you think there's probably a lot of referrals that come out of that i mean people that are there for a community event do probably work for big, you know, companies that do have a once a year holiday party that they're going to need a trivia host for. Yeah, so I'm really, else, really glad know. you brought up the idea of uh, of referrals because it's it's all been a snowball effect. I, you know, found a bar at one point, and one of their uh, one of the players there was a bartender at another place, and that's how I got that show. And one of the regulars there worked for the local soccer organization, and that's how I got that show. And one of their players was the principal at a Catholic school, so I got that show, and it that this is how this works in my world. I, I don't market myself. I don't promote myself. I don't have an advertising budget uh, really outside of like Facebook and word of mouth. So, you know, if you can get your foot in the door, sometimes it's more economically in your uh, in your benefit uh, to to make sure you secure the gig. It's something you're comfortable with instead of trying to find a price that, you know, matches the market or really kind of reflects the work that you put in because the the intangibles are what are going to pay off long-term. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Referrals are are great. And you will always build your business faster off of referrals and word of mouth than you ever will paying for advertisements. People trust their friends. I suppose and, that's a really valid point, yeah. Uh, they trust they trust their friends that have been to these events and go no that was a lot of fun you should come check it out way more than if they heard something on the radio. Mm -hmm. um, back actually when I used to work for Chipotle um, that this was bef well before they ever had advertisements the entire brand was built on word of mouth. They did not advertise there was no advertising budget. 
any advertising was offering up free events for schools and stuff like that where they come in and get a free burrito if they showed their school ID or things like that. There was no ads on TV. They didn't have the Super Bowl spots. They didn't have the radio spots. Um, and they made it a big thing to put that into our minds when we started, especially from the manager side, was you want to make sure people are happy because that's going to build your business. They're going to tell their friends they're going to bring people in. No, for sure. And I guess I hadn't put it in kind of the nuts and bolts way that you just did. Um, but yeah, thinking back, pretty much all of the work I've had over the last seven or eight years has come from, you know, a, a handful of very lucky breaks uh, and and word of mouth and people saying, hey, I saw your show here. Uh, one of the longest clients that I had for trivia, uh, a mom and pop pizzeria company uh, in the local area. They happened to be out one night at a TGI Fridays that I happened to be hosting trivia at because the restaurant manager happened to be a former manager of mine when I was working at Chili's and recognized me when I came in for lunch one day as I was shopping for clothes at the mall. So, That's you know, great. It, yeah, as, as you, as you kind of wind back the thread of fate, uh, this is, this is how businesses are built and, you know, three or four lucky breaks like that. And I'm, you know, at the size and caliber of one of those national brands that Nick keeps not talking about. But way better. Well, it, <laughs> some might say. But way better. <laughs> Far be it from me to tell you you're wrong, sir. I mean, I'll be honest. I would have never been to a Liquid Courage show had I not had a couple of friends that said, hey, we went to this trivia show last week. You should come. And I know, you know, we've talked about this internally uh, for the last year or two about, you know, marketing and the best way to get word out. And I guess what we're we're kind of all collectively realizing is don't spend that much money on marketing because you get way more bang for your buck for just being good and authentic at your job and you know having a couple lucky coin flips go your way yep. yeah I, I think that's super important um word of mouth is is free and it's by far the most effective as what jeremy said earlier mm. and i mean I, I know that from the realtor business i mean referrals literally keep me afloat and um you know, I don't have to worry about putting my face on a billboard, Phil Dumpy style or anything like that. Um, you know. I don't know. I, I live three blocks from exactly one of those billboards in my area. I drive, <laughs> I drive do you by call this, that realtor? I know that realtor's face. And then no, because unfortunately, Jacob, how often do people have need in their life to hire a realtor? <laughs> More so than you think. I've hired one once and oh, I can't envision hiring any other realtor if I ever need one again. Fair enough. We it's, are we are a terrible people. It's if you do your job right, you don't get repeat business. Ah, uh, yeah, true, true. If you find the perfect home, right, right. Uh, so let's see. Uh, as I go back to our outline here, so we've talked a little bit about you know the the economics of, of public events versus private events. Uh, we kind of glanced into the idea of you know who ends up signing the check at the end of the day. Let me let me ask you guys this. Let's open the table to this discussion. Uh, do you see yourselves ever incorporating some kind of model where the payers are the players? And and I'm gonna I'm gonna clearly um, distinctively separate this from you know the online like Twitch or Facebook model that that people have used uh, during the pandemic, where that's kind of the only option available. But you know, in terms of like doing a live entertainment venture, would you ever consider? Or have you considered or have you done something where there's a cover and the cover is what goes to you? So I could talk about um, a situation. I I got called to do a theme night 
at some like uh, a venue and it was a theme I knew nothing about, absolutely nothing about. Um, it was How I Met Your Mother and I've never seen the TV show. Um, so that was a lot of fun. But the way that we kind of figured out how I was going to get paid was that how many people would show up and I would get a cut of that. Um, so I was in charge of promoting it with mm-hmm. my company as well as them promoting it on their page. Now, I just um, want to make sure I understand clearly the bar paid you per head, right? Yes. Did they charge a cover? They did. They did. You said, yeah. So it was, a okay. Percentage so you, of you got a percentage cut. of the cover. Okay. I just wanted to yeah. make sure that I was seeing the, the situation as you were presenting it. Go on. Yes. So we hosted it. It was fine. Um, it felt, I don't want to say icky, but it felt icky because I didn't feel like I was, because I didn't really know the content as well. And maybe if like I did like an office show or if I did WWE or something like that, like I would have felt a little bit better, but my kind of issue with, with essentially being paid by the players is that you're beholden to the players at that point. You are creating content more for their money as opposed to for their entertainment. Right, Um, right. And so that's where I kind of fall on the side of, would I like to, you know, obviously now, like you said, on the online space, it's different. But in a venue, to have either my pay be based on how many people, you know, show up that day to pay to play or... um, you know, tickets or anything like that. And I don't think I'm, that's not a model that I would ever consider for any kind of regular thing. Okay. Um, Mainly because I just don't want to, I'm there to entertain. I, I always tell people when I host, you know, I may screw up a question. It might happen, but in the end you're coming here for entertainment. Um, Trivia is a vehicle for entertainment. Whereas if you were, if you switch that, if you flip that switch, it's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Um, people are competing for cash prizes and stuff like that. I have no interest in, in anything like that. Um, it, it's just not, not my style. Okay. No, that's, that's perfectly fair. I, and I only kind of bring it up because I've, I've toyed around with theory crafting some kind of models to, to get back into the live space, you know, come May, June, July as the world kind of Re- reopens itself and you know and i've talked about this on the podcast before but i'm in one of the more competitive trivia markets in the u.s being in chicago there are you know 30 40 50 companies some national some hyper local uh and i know a lot of their names and i realize that there are a lot of bars but there aren't that many bars so one of the uh one of the thoughts that i've kind of banged around is doing like a free pop-up show uh, to try to get my foot in the door in a venue and and doing the promotion and you know absorbing the time cost but then uh, you know, at halftime, you know, offering up like a Venmo donation link where if patrons are having a good time and they feel like donating, they can. And I go in knowing that I don't expect to walk out with anything. But worst case scenario, uh, I've made some connections. I possibly got my foot in the door into a bar and doing something like something like that might help offset the economic downturns of not having a guaranteed pay at the end of the evening for me. I don't know if I'm going to do it. It's an idea that I have banged around and I might, you know, experimentally do at some point in the next month or two. I will definitely keep you guys posted if I go that route. And also, Jeremy, are you willing to work for free? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <sighs> Jacob, he's all yours. I tried. I mean, OK, let's put it this way. If we were ever doing a charity show, obviously, I would I would donate my time. Uh, that, that's a whole different thing. 
Yeah, the big um, difference is even if it were a charity show, I wouldn't in good conscience ask you to. Right, and I, I don't think I would do that to anybody either, but it's still one of those, like, there's different situations. Right. If it were uh, something I mean, I, I like joke. your alma mater was doing a fundraiser night for the wrestling team or whatever, and you decided that you wanted to write a game and present it to them, you know, as some a way to give back to the school, and all that it affected me personally, professionally, was that you were using, like, a sound setup for one night, 100% on board with that. Uh, but the difference is it wouldn't be me taking on this booking and then offering it to you, you know? Right. But I think as far as we go, I think we would talk about something, too. If like, hey, there's a show coming up. We need to figure something out. Like, obviously, mm -hmm. if it was a charity thing, uh, the, again, this is a whole different side tangent we could go on. But uh, I, I think that that comes down to situational. Like, will you take on a bar for free? No. <laughs> I don't think anybody in their right mind would. Uh, Wait, what are you saying? I was just I free? just spent a minute and a half talking about how I'm considering it. I know. And have fun <laughs> with that. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, the look. Any good drug dealer will tell you the first hit is always free. That sounds like don't don't all around. reply to that at <laughs> once. It's fine. This dead air is not bad for my soul or anything. <laughs> you know, I do have one question. Maybe this is just me being naive about uh, being so young in the space. But uh, for for even even individual events where. Um, there's a cover cost, you know, per head. If it's a theme round, like an office theme round or a mm -hmm. friend's theme round, obviously the most important ones or the most popular ones. Um, is that normally an idea by the bar owner or by the trivia owner? Um, because I don't know, I, I heard this discussion a couple of episodes back, you know, American trivia is usually come in, sit down, play for free. If you win, you maybe win a gift card or, right. you know, something like that. Whereas over, you know, across the pond or in other areas of the world, it's 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 so much more competitive and there is a, a cover cost. So, you know, when, when it does happen over here, is that more an idea of a trivia host or a bar to try to get more money in for whatever? I yes. don't know that I have the answer <laughs> to that question. Um, I no, The answer is just yes. Like, I mean, it, it comes from both sides, I think, because we even in the co-op, we've had this discussion before. Where it's like one bar trying to force theme nights and then another host saying, well, I like to throw theme nights from time to time. Um, so I think it really depends on the venue. Yeah, as far as uh, charging a cover cost to go on, I fortunately never found myself in a situation when I was doing a like recurring show. And that's the big thing that I made sure when we broke into doing theme nights that I, I made sure I separated them out from my weekly fare. Uh, and we've had this conversation both internally and I think on the podcast at this point where I decided I was going to add them to my schedule instead of replace my schedule with them. Uh, but that being said, uh, I've never had to have the conversation with a client or a venue where we talked about, you know, pushing the cost or recouping some of the cost through players themselves. Um, I don't know personally how I feel about it in the context of doing like a, a big special event theme night. I don't think I'm philosophically opposed to running an event like in a bar or restaurant where people knew going in, uh, it was a, you know, a semi-private event with a cover charge and that I would be generating a lot of my income from that cover charge. Obviously that's going to incentivize me to get the word out and try to put as many butts in seats as possible. Um, as far as how I would feel about it, I, it's an untested theory for me. Yeah. I, I feel like if, if you haven't done it, it's, it's, I'm not sure you're going to get there unless you try it. Um, because you hear so many different things. 
I think that's something that comes down on the venue more than anything, though. Um, or like the, they would need to decide. You know, you would work as a as a trivia company. You'd work out what your pay was going to be with them, mm. and then they would decide how they're going to pay you. Um, is it going to be from people just spending money at the bar, or are they going to charge five dollars a head? Yeah, um, no, that's that's a valid point. I, I again just am going back through you know a decade of doing this with with various venues, and I don't think the thought process has ever been to charge a cover, even you know, to recoup costs in any way, shape or form. So that's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't think it's very standard, especially in our area. Um, but I do. I, I've heard of it being a thing in other areas. OK, I, I think more in the Chicago area, at least it's the bar just pays you and they know that they're going to make a shit ton of money off of the bar tabs that night, especially for something like Harry Potter night or Friends night or something like that. Those are going to draw a big crowd just intrinsically. And they're going to be rolling in the money anyway. I, I want to say that when when bars are charging covers, what they're doing is trying to cover the cost of trivia and not necessarily with, you know, having good drinks or good food or good service, but they're trying to create this kind of um, this artificial reason for people to charge money whereas like you could go to the bar across the street and they may have entertainment for free right but then patrons are like the way that they make the money is by having a good product outside of the entertainment and i think by having by charging a cover you end up you know you kind of have to ask why why is the venue charging a cover when you know we're already going to spend money you know on x y and z so then you know, it, it's just a weird, a weird dynamic, and I, I think it creates this, this this weird situation where, you know, if your pay is based on how many people show up and you get, you know, we've all, well, outside of maybe uh, Jacob so far, we've all had shows where, you know, there are three teams there. Right. And you're like, well, this isn't my fault. Maybe the service at the bar sucks and people don't want to, you know. It, it, there's a lot of different variables that go into it. You know, maybe so, there was a snowstorm and I told you bar owner that nobody was going to come out tonight. And you said, no, we want to have you anyway. And I said, all right, but you're still paying me. And you said, fine. And now we're all twiddling thumbs while you write a check. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, when, when you, when you get, you know, when, when a bar wants to do that, I think the the important question to, to ask yourself is why are they doing that? Because they're not doing it because, you know, they want to pay you differently. It's, they, they didn't just come up with this idea because like, hey, you know, let's just figure out how we're going to pay Nick how to do trivia every week. But um, it's it's more of a we're trying to deflect from maybe the way we run our business mm-hmm. and we're not making enough. So we need to figure a way for the players to um, to cover you know, they'll cover up the fact that we're not making enough money at the bar or, you know, um, from our servers. Yeah, I guess for me here in in the U.S., at least my my neck of the woods, I will gladly pay a cover to go see like a live band at a bar. But that's about the only reason I would ever pay a cover to, to walk into a bar. Uh, and to me, it's not even a cover. It's, you know, buying a ticket at the door for a concert. Yeah, that's how I always read cover charges with bands. It's like you're just buying a ticket to the event. Which is still kind of weird because I wouldn't feel the same way for like a DJ. I wouldn't feel the same way for like a karaoke night. And those aren't, strictly speaking, that different than going to a bar to see a band. Uh, They are, though, because let me say this. Bands charge a lot more money to be on that stage. That's fair. And I mean, they have to in terms of, you know, increased equipment costs, increased 
you know, pay. I mean, there's there's more than one person in a band usually. Yep. Kind of thing. No, there's there's uh, bands will have an intrinsic like minimum cost to get them into a bar. Um, like I, from what I've heard, you know, local band we're fans of costs like minimum five grand for a tiny venue. Right. Like minimum. Uh, th- that's not what we're. I mean, that's fifty something times basically what we'd be charging. Well, why not us? Why can't we shift the the paradigm on that? Yeah, I mean, if not for the fact that there's 5,000 people out there doing our job that won't, and then we're going to look stupid and be out of business. But, like, why not, you know? But, yeah, no, I think that's what goes back to that, like, where you're saying, well, there's a cover charge. Well, there's almost always a cover charge for a band, whether that be the ticket cost ahead of time or you're paying at the door. But that's because immediately them booking that band is, is shooting up their cost for the night. Bringing in trivia is not shooting up the bar's cost for the night. In fact, it's just bringing them in more money. Because they have to write that check to the band, no, no matter what, of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. They have to write between $100 and $200, as we've been talking all night, for the trivia host for the night. That's, you know, I mean, in some drinks. way, it's the difference between dozens and, and hundreds, if not, you know, a couple thousand feet in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that's all I really have on that one. It's just, the, it, it's it's apples and oranges when you're comparing like live band uh, stuff to just a trivia host or a DJ or karaoke. All right. Well, I think that's a lot we've uh, said on this guys. Uh, is there anything else anybody wants to bring up before we move on to the keyword? Uh, I'm hiring uh, markets outside of Chicago land. And if you own a bar, please book me first. <laughs> Besides Jason. I, that's all I had for me. I'm all good. All right. All right. Then let's, uh, that takes us into this week's uh, keyword challenge guys. For those that don't know what the keyword challenge is, uh, a member of the listeners here of Quadrivia has sent us a keyword that we have not looked at before the show, and we're going to pull that up now, and then we're going to take 10 minutes off of Mike to try to write the best question we can that incorporates that keyword, whether it's in the question or in the answer. I was going to have my friend Mike actually write the question. Is that okay? Sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, go ahead. Why not? We'll, We'll bring Mike in. All right. Let's uh, let's get into that. Uh, so this week's keyword brought to us by Chuck Yu. I think I know that guy. He's been on the show before. Yeah. You better know him. Yeah. Uh, the keyword he sent us is Azerbaijan. So I don't know if he's coming back on the show after that, <laughs> but all right. All right. <laughs> um, so we're going to take 10 minutes off the mic to talk about that, uh, or not talk about that, to write a question about that. And uh, if you want to send us a keyword, you can do so at quadriviapod at gmail.com. Uh, check us out at quadriviapodcast.com and give your keyword there. Or there's a form that I just put out on our Facebook page and in some of the discords uh, we are part of that has a link to a Google Sheet where you can submit a keyword for use on a future show. And please, please, please do. That way we don't have to keep writing on keywords like fucking Azerbaijan, Chuck. (laughs) But all right, guys, we're going to head off mic for 10 minutes, guys, and we will be right back after the porn music. And we are back. Uh, This week's keyword challenge, thanks to Chuck Yu, or maybe not so many thanks. Uh, The keyword for this episode's keyword challenge is Azerbaijan. You know, after Azerbaijan, I'm thinking I want to rhyme Chuck you with something. <laughs> we love you, Chuck. You start bastard. Start with an F. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Fu. Oh, the, yeah, there, there you go. go. There you go. Yeah, that's Fu. exactly. That's that's the kind of martial arts we had to pull to make these questions work. I think, uh, or maybe I, my mileage varied. Uh, Jacob, 
You've never yes. done this before. Let's see how no. awesome your question is, and then we can compare ourselves wait. and feel better. Uh, and and this is the first time I've ever had to put a question together in ten minutes. Uh, you know, so yay. Uh, here's my question: The old city or inner city sits at the core of the capital city of Baku, Azerbaijan, and boasts a history dating back to as early as the seventh century, according to some scholars. In December of 2000, the Maiden Tower and the Palace of the Shirvanshahs, along with the entirety of the city, became the first locations in Azerbaijan to be given what title? Given by a worldwide society focusing on cultural, historical, or scientific significance. Oh, I have half an answer rolling around in my head on this. Um, I, if I were in a team context, I think collectively we could pull this. Uh, but the first thing that comes to mind is, is the term for this like a World Heritage Site or something? It's it's really close yeah. to that if it's not I, that. I'm 99% sure you're right. I That's yeah. what came to my mind too, because I've heard of this before. Yeah, I'm trying to remember UNESCO. like what organization distinguishes that. Is, is it a UNESCO Heritage Site maybe? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah, Jacob, if, you tell us. You did if you're locking in, you were exactly right. It was the UNESCO World Heritage Site. <sighs> yep. I, I I talked myself into that. I went with like it's it's a national no, it's a world landmark site. No, that's not the word they use. It's like a heritage. It's a heritage site. It, it's in the world. It's got to be a world heritage site. Who the hell would give it away? Not the UN, <laughs> but kind of the UN. UNESCO. Yeah. yeah, there it is. Yeah, well done. Because like I was thinking i thought that's what it was i'm like no maybe, maybe i'm pulling that out of my ass it's, it's coming from nowhere then you said it word for word and i'm like okay <laughs> that that is it we're on the same page why do i think if you take the word baku and and reduplicate it you get like a video game reference is that ringing a bell to you at all jeremy baku baku or am i oh you know what it is oh my kid used to watch this terrible like americanized anime about like battle tops called bakugan Yep. Or no, no, that's Beyblade. That. Bakugan was, I think they were like marbles of doom or some stupid thing. I'm, I'm really trying to remember, but also trying. No, to it's it's keep the same it thing. It's out. like a top, but it opens up and there's a little character inside. That's what like it when is. When they hit each other. Oh god, that thing! Yeah. I I troll we my kid some. to this day whenever he's like watching Pokemon. It's like, oh, is this the one with the tops? <laughs> he hates me. It's it's great parenting, I tell you. Um. Okay, so let's talk about this question a little bit. Um, a whole bunch of words that my white Midwestern ass did not recognize, and I feel like I learned something a little bit. Yeah, um, I always struggle with putting too much information in my questions. When I'm at the you know at the core of the question, you just want to ask what the ask is. Um, so feel free to tear it apart because I, I like I said, I'm new to this, so. So give me some give me some pointers. No, I'm I'm gonna tell you this. You you got this kind of deeper, broader geographical knowledge into a guessable place for for standard like Americanized trivia heads, and I like that about it very much. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I certainly tend to agree uh, with Jason here. I I think because of the prompt we were given and to get to where you wanted to go. Um, I, I think it's it's certainly a, a good start. It's the the length is certainly not my style for anybody who's played any of my shows before. Um, but you know, like you said, we had to get from from point A to point B, mm -hmm. and sometimes it takes a little bit longer to get there. Um, so yeah, good job. Yeah, something I've noticed over doing episodes of this is when we do the keyword challenge, we tend to write in ways that we wouldn't necessarily write for our own shows. And yeah. so, Jacob, let me ask you: Would you include this question as is in one of your shows? No. 
No, uh, mostly because I use TVs at my shows, and I'm pretty sure this question would like eat up the entire screen. <laughs> Fair um, enough. You know, using Triv now, if those are familiar people who are familiar with it. But now I would probably take out the majority of the of the first part, um, just kind of giving some background on it. Um, but at the same time, I tend to overgive just so I can get a better get rate because I don't want to make my players feel too stupid. So the more I can give them, the more they can latch on to. Yeah, I feel like you can cut out that entire first sentence and not lose any of the meat of the question if you want to get it down to that like that rubric that I tend to use where if I can't fit it into one question, like one sentence worth of ask, then I haven't done my job well enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like in December of 2000, the Maiden Tower, the Palace of the Shirvanshas, uh, along with, you know, the rest of the city of Baku became the first locations in Ar Azerbaijan to be given what title given by a worldwide society of books. Like it's a wordy ass sentence, but it is one sentence and it flows grammatically and it's understandable. Yeah, uh, I got no beef with it. Okay. And I think it's probably better than my I needed to go one direction on this question. And then I didn't uh, presentation. You guys ready for this shit show? Oh, yeah. All right. Here's mine. Uh, the former Soviet republics are generally grouped into regions like Eastern Europe, the Baltics, and Central Asia. The region known as Transcaucasia causes a lot of issues for trivia writers, though, as each of the three former SSRs in that region literally straddle the traditional line that divides Europe from Asia. Name those three countries. Hmm. I know one of them. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I bet Azerbaijan's one of them. But... Oh, almost certainly. Um... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Turkey is actually split in two, right? So it, it wouldn't count. Mm. Are, are you asking me or? Yeah, no, I'm asking the group. Oh, OK. I'm trying to think of what's in that area that I know is like generally on the Eurasia line. Yeah. Um, to that point, Turkey is split uh, by the Bosphorus. It is very, very much considered transcontinental, but it is not a former Soviet Republic. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like, you know, since we're. I'm trying to think of what's more, um, you know, Middle Eastern versus what's Eastern European, if there, if I can think of a difference. I'm not great with geography, so um, I'm having a hard time. Yeah, putting geography my... is my weakest subject. Yeah, the only other um, one I can think of that might be in this group, and I could be wrong, and it was just brought up on a Trivial Warfare, is Armenia. Um, I don't they, – they were talking about the area, and that came up. I don't know what else would be over there, like Uzbekistan's in the area – um, yeah, but I don't know if that's a former Soviet Republic. I think it is. I don't know if that's right. I, I know it's like that really weird tip because the Caspian Sea is right there. Um, and I, I, part of me is thinking like Georgia, because I know Georgia is like right there on the, the edge of Russia that kind of like dips along that Western part of the Caspian, um, and I believe they were a Soviet Republic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so we have Azerbaijan, Georgia. Like I said, my only other guess would be Armenia uh, or yeah. Uzbekistan. Those are the only other two that come to mind. But I feel like there was something on in the question on Trivial Warfare where they talked about Armenia and Soviet stuff. And that's All why right. it stood out. I'd, let's go with that, then. So we're going Armenia, Azerbaijan, and Georgia, it sounds like, right? Yes. Three yeah. for three, gentlemen. Congratulations. Wow, nice. Well done. I was going to say it's probably Uzbekistan, and I'm going to feel like nope. an idiot. <laughs> no, I, I would argue that Azerbaijan is probably the, the hardest of the three of those to pull, because uh, depending on 
if you define geography versus culture versus history, uh, both Armenia and Georgia tend to be very gray area as far as, well, are they Europe? Kinda. Are they Asia? Kinda. Uh, in that, that Venn diagram overlap down there in the South Caucasus. No, I would have struggled with that by myself for sure. Cause I, like I said, I'm not a geography guy. So, yeah. And had I not known the keyword, I would have guessed Armenia, and that would have been the only one I got. <laughs> I would have said, like, Armenia, Uzbekistan, maybe. And the only reason that's yeah. coming to mind is because of research during Az mm. Azerbaijan and just knowing that they're all in the same region. I, I would have not pulled Georgia, and I should have because I've missed a question on Georgia before. If I were to, to write this for my actual pub game, I would probably pull Azerbaijan from the answer and make it part of the ask because I think that's the toughest of the three for anybody to guess. Uh, I do think it's fair game to ask about, you know, like the geography of Armenia and Georgia because they're better known countries and have historical connections to both Europe and Asia. That's fair. But yeah, no, th this is a, a semi-tough geography question and there isn't a whole lot of fun about it. So my question sucked. Nick, what was yours? <laughs> um, so mine is in a completely different uh direction let's let's see what we have here uh, we have while not filmed in total in the country the highest grossing film with scenes set in azerbaijan per imdb also features the final film appearance played by what actor who also had prominent roles in 1999's varsity blues and she's all that before taking on his career defining character in 2000 uh there is a place that my head goes on this instantly but i can't connect the varsity blues and she's all that to it so i'm gonna let the, uh, the this, rest of the this team is a movie question i think i'm like 100 percent on this so I will see what uh, Jacob has to say here before I so, chime in. She's all that I've seen. I, I unfortunately have not seen Varsity Blues, but I know. Um... Love Varsity Blues. <laughs> you know, Jacob, uh, if you've spent your whole life not watching Varsity Blues, then I don't I want. So your I think life. I, I think I joined Tipster on the history of this podcast of being someone who was just not seen a lot of movies. Um, so yeah, you can throw me in that pile. Uh, but I have seen She's All That, and I... Oh, I know his name now. So who I'm thinking of from that movie... Well, if you want me to say it out loud, because it might not it might be the answer, but it might not be. Well, it feels like Jeremy's did, did locked in, him? and if you the, say the name I'm about to say, then I think oh, all three of us are going to have it. So go ahead. I, as I say, was this person in a car crash in the past few years? I actually of? don't know. Uh, I, well... I, I couldn't tell you. Oh, 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 never mind then. All right, I so, was thinking differently. So I'll I'll reveal I Who my head for everything other than the Varsity Blues and she's all that is going to Jim Caviezel. Uh, Jim Caviezel is very much alive. I um, yeah I guess, but I don't know if he's been in films after The Passion of the Christ, which for whatever reason between Azerbaijan and two thousand is is <laughs> where I'm going. Um. So, so who I, who I was thinking of originally, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in she's all that it's Freddie Prince Jr. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is in She's All That, yes. Okay, that's who I was thinking of at first. I didn't know if he was in Varsity Blues. Usher uh, was also in She's All That, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, yes. So uh, this is clearly Usher. We can move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I know who you're talking about, and uh, if it was the lead in the Fast and Furious movies? Yes, it was. That's Oh, shit. Okay. Because that would be, uh, I, I'm pretty sure, and I have not seen it, but I've seen enough of the previews to know that at least part of the the last movie he was in for the Fast uh, series was uh, Middle Eastern. Okay. But he's definitely in Varsity Blues and She's All That. And it would have been uh, 
his last film. Oh God, was he was he the stud quarterback at the beginning of Varsity Blues who like yep. broke his leg or whatever? I, I'm picturing that now. Okay. Yep. Oh, he wasn't a Vanderbeek, so I didn't care at the time. <laughs> I, I don't so get any I'm thinking of that. Paul Walker, but that uh, that I'll just put it out there. I'm, I'm thinking Paul Walker. I could be completely wrong, and there's somebody else in these movies. Well, um, if if he was in both, if he was in Varsity Blues, yeah, I know he was in Cheese All That because he was uh, the the douchey guy that took out the prom date. Uh, going behind Freddie Prince Jr.'s back. So, yeah. yep. Yep. Oh, why can't I think of the actress's name from She's All That? It's the, uh, the the one with the glasses who paints and then becomes hot when she takes off her overalls. And, and her dad was an amazing Jeopardy player. Were. Was he? Well, he he knew all the answers to watching TV. He was oh, like, right. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you're thinking of Rachel Lee Cook. I, I am thinking thinking of her. Thank you so much. I just, I'm picturing the Sixpence None the Richer video. And then she <laughs> yep. gets like, terrible vision but we think she's hot so it's all better yeah but she's the one on the cover with freddie prince jr and then uh i know that anna paquin's also in it okay but hey we should probably talk about how good nick's question was (laughs) are we right (laughs) we didn't even find out yeah Yeah, paul Paul walker is the correct answer there we go paul walker yep i didn't remember the first name i couldn't remember his last i was yeah so wait paul walker didn't play jesus he (laughs) well he, he might have met Jesus. Um, oh, oh, mm. damn. Ooh, that got dark fast. Oh, he's, been, he's been dead for like eight years. It's fine. <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah, so he, he, he passed away in 2013 um, while the film was, I don't know if the film was still being, yeah, it was still being filmed. Yeah, his, or at least his produced. brother uh, stood in for him, yeah. I guess, for his, for his, so they could finish up some scenes. Yeah, so. It's pretty, but he uh, died. He died in a car accident that was completely unrelated to the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. he was yeah. Uh, in a oh crap. Now I'm gonna forget what it was—a Porsche of some sort, I think. Okay. I mean, uh, I gotta tell you, Nick, you have danced on the grave of somebody so much in this episode that I will not make the Paul Walker <laughs> Texas Ranger pun that I've had on tap for about two minutes. <laughs> oh, You've man. taken the joy out of this. Oh, I bet. I bet. Solid question, though. Really. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, and again, my head went to a weird place when I was thinking near Near East plus 2000 uh, and, you know, career defining character like just Jim Caviezel and the Passion of the Christ just jumped to me and I couldn't get away from that. Uh, not thinking that Jesus would be in like MTV films in the late 90s featuring Usher. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the thing that got me on that one was it says the uh, his highest grossing film with scenes set in Azerbaijan was his last film. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that the Middle Eastern film was right. his most prominent film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, reading's film. hard. What do you want from me? Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought it was a good question. I, I love a good Thank movies you. question. Jason, just for reference, I, I am looking at Jim Caviezel's uh, IMDb um, right now, and he's been in other movies. Just refuse to believe a... it. He, he was Jesus. <laughs> he is Jesus. He will continue to be Jesus. He does a lot of like low budget stuff. Yeah. Oh, Jim Caviezel wow. worked with Mel Gibson for our sins. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Here we go. Oh yeah. Like that's the worst thing that's been said <laughs> in the last five minutes on this podcast. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, I'm going to go into my question. Just get us off this Jim Caviezel, Paul Walker tangent. Paul Walker on water, I guess, uh, as Jason would put it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to cut that in editing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's my question. The star and crescent, which was a prominent symbol of the Ottoman Empire, was actually created in the Greek colony of Byzantium around 300 BCE. 
You can see this symbol on many flags and official emblems such as Azerbaijan, Turkey, and Algeria. While Turkey would hold the record had they not changed their flag in 1969 to remove the symbol and add it back in in 2011, what country that sounds like they could make a new Bugs Bunny movie with zero effort has the oldest flag currently adorned with this symbol? Albuquerque. We're just going to let Albuquerque <laughs> die on the vine there. Okay. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have taken the left turn into Albuquerque on that. Um, that is the first thing that came to mind for me too. Right? Kind of sounds like they can make a new Bugs Bunny movie with zero effort. Space Jam? Is that a country? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'd go there to heartbeat. Okay, so the Star and Crescent is very prominent is is it very prominent and you guys can back me up on this in predominantly islamic nations or is that mm -hmm. just the crescent oh it's the crescent I, a lot I'm... of just to add i'll say that a lot of the islamic countries have the star in there too okay it's mm -hmm. it, it has to do with just the region because this is anything, but... geographically getting me to you know the the former you know ottoman slash moorish slash islamic empire states of like north africa the middle east near the Near East, etc. Um, that said, how the hell do you connect Bugs Bunny into this? Yeah, that's that's the the clue I can't get. You guys are gonna kill me when you hear this. Oh, but, this uh... is this is a shitty Jeremy pun, isn't it? It's like what's up, Dakistan, or something. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! I just got the terrible <laughs> Jeremy pun, and it's terrible, and it's terrible, and it's terrible. <laughs> You're going to have to save me here because I, I, I don't I, I cannot figure this out. I, I started walking like west to east through former or, or current Islamic nations and Morocco, Algeria. What would be next? I got nothing. I'm not. A it's up there guy. with like Libya and Egypt. Um, I'm all right. I'm going to throw it out there because apparently I'm the geo buff. Is it fucking Tunisia? Yep. Oh, oh, it's Tunisia. God, I hate you. Oh, man. Oh. That's brutal. I need to take a shower. <laughs> that is, you that know, is of all awful. of all the offensive comments we've made in this keyword <laughs> challenge, the fact that you just burned an entire nation with a rich history and culture. Oh, oh I stand that's by this awful. one. That is so terrible. Oh. But I also love it, and I'm super jealous I didn't write it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly you know so bad it's good, but it's also bad. That that's... that is that is one of those questions where you ask that at a live show. And you gave the answer, all you would hear were moans. Yep. I mean, that's like, that is a moan. <laughs> well, that's not a moan question. It's Yeah, it's a boo question. Exactly. Yep, hard, yeah, hardcore. Um, let me ask you, Jeremy, how do you feel about this question? Oh, I feel great about this question. All right, let I me ask you, Jacob, are you growing. hiring? Uh, no, he's yours. Uh, <laughs> you you took him on, and you did definitely did say earlier in the show that he's your best employee. So you I know, and that's speaking very poorly yeah. of my brand right now. Yeah, yeah. This you is cannot say you have made worse puns than this. <laughs> I I know, but not on the podcast for a question. Oh, that's debatable. I beg that's to debatable for a question. Uh, no, I leave them for my shitty comments. Otherwise, yeah, I have to agree. I, I don't think his questions have had any of these bad puns, but. <laughs> hey, I had to walk you guys there somehow. No, you did. And without that, there's no way in the world that that's gettable for, for a vast majority of players. Uh, so credit where credit's due. You made it a gettable, guessable question. Mm -hmm. I just wish you hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. It's solid, man. I did. I, I, Bugs Bunny, really? <laughs> 
Well, I couldn't use like Looney Tunes because there'd be tune in right. there. Um, it was like I had to find a way around it. So Bugs Bunny movie. I just, whose name contains a type of fish. Yeah, I was like, I was going down. I was like, carrots. Uh, what's up, Doc? Uh, Elmer Fudd. Yeah. You know, the important thing is we collectively never have to write another question about Azerbaijan. <laughs> and and the world rejoiced. So and we uh, saved all the other uh, podcast hosts from doing the same. So we really did. You're welcome, You're welcome. Triviality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if you guys want to vote for, I'll call it the least worst Azerbaijan question uh, of the week, you can do so at quadriviapodcast.com. Corey's put a bunch of work into the website. Uh, check it out. Give him the views. It makes him feel useful. Uh, and beyond that, should we go to 10 questions that hopefully don't have anything to do with Azerbaijan? Well, it's funny. You say, I'm just kidding. Oh, um, <laughs> no, uh, I went ahead and prepared uh, 10 questions for tonight's round. Um, this is a hidden theme round, uh, so uh, we'll have nine general knowledge questions and then a tenth question to ask you what the, the overall theme is. So if you guys are ready. Yeah, I'm ready whenever you are, man. All right, guys. Question one. Here we go. Which DreamWorks animation media franchise released its first movie in 2010, followed by a sequel in 2014, and a final movie to wrap up the trilogy in 2019, with leading characters in all three movies voiced by Jay Bar- Baruchel and America Ferreira? All right. I, I definitely know this one. Uh, the Jay Baruchel one uh, gives it away. I I might know this. Um, boy, I'd be glad to be on a team with you on this, Jeremy, because I've got a couple ideas for animated films that I think went to trilogies slash DreamWorks films, and I think there's just the one in the center of that Venn diagram in my head. Uh, Nick, do you have any thoughts on this? Not necessarily animated uh, isn't really my my go-to. I do I do like uh, Jay Baruchel. Is that how we pronounce his name? Yeah. Baruchel? Oh. Uh, Jay Baruchel. As far I as I know, know, it's Baruchel, yeah. Yeah, that's what I think it is, too. Funny actor. I just uh, I don't necessarily know a lot of uh, his work, See, I'm especially with the, voiceover. The Sorcerer's Apprentice was uh, with Nick Cage. That was a good one. Yeah, I'm looking at these two names, and I want to make some kind of terrible reference to, like, bechamel and American cheese and, and do some, like, weird French fondue thing. But that's neither here nor there. Jeremy, is this Rio by any chance? No. Okay, uh, then I got nothing. Uh, this would be How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. He okay. is the yeah, voice of the main right. character. Yep, it is How to Train Your Dragon. I would not nice have job. pulled that independently, so thank you, Jeremy. All right. Uh, my, my son loves these. And then there's a bunch of spinoff Netflix shows that kind of live in the same universe um, that are really good. Ones I don't mind watching when he's, you know, spam watching them on the main TV. All right, guys. Question two. Um, this one is your uh, first video que- video game question of the night. I was going to say video question because we do not have the medium <laughs> set up for that. <laughs> watch right, this video. And- watch this. <laughs> Although I will say that I love that he prefaced it with this is your first video game question of the night. There are implications that I am here for. In Zelda Ocarina of Time for the Nintendo 64, a lot of tricks could be done with the hookshot that Link used as a child. However, most of the adult Link sections of the game required the long, the longevity of the long shot, which was found in what temple? So I haven't played Ocarina oh of Time, but I know that there's a water temple, and that's what I got for this. I, I don't know if it's right, but I know there's a water temple. The long shot is required to get 
through one of them, so you get it about halfway through the dungeon, so you could backtrack and get through the rest. And oh, let's see, there would be it's an been years earth temple, a water temple, a fire temple, a wind temple, and a heart temple, right? <laughs> the heart temple. Um, I believe it's the equivalent of uh, like Turtle Rock from A Link to the Past. So would that be the, the superior game, the mountain temple? I don't know. I'm, I'm, trying I'm to leaning it's been hard on you on this, Jeremy. I have no, uh, I, no I assistance don't know for whatsoever. Sure. It has been that long since I played Ocarina of Time. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I played the crap out of Link to the Past with the randomizer, but haven't touched Ocarina of Times. Um, Nick, do you I, play I video games? Um, I do, but my Nintendo 64 playing was either um, GoldenEye, like everybody, or uh, the WCW uh, wrestling games, and that was pretty much it. God, I knew we were friends N64 for a reason. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeremy, I think you're going to be carrying the team on this one. I, my guess would be the Mountain Temple or Earth Temple, whatever they called it. It's been such a long time since I played it, but... I don't know, because I think the water temple had something to do with it. was probably the flippers or something. I think it was the boots, wasn't it? Or the boots, yeah. The the heavy boots. The... Yeah, I know I know the boots are super relevant to the water temple. I don't know if you find them in there. All right, so we're going with, with mountain or earth? Sure. Yes. Okay, so uh, it was the water temple. You guys Mother danced damn all around it. Uh, you have to use the, um, and if I remember incorrectly, you have to use the uh, heavy boots to get to the entrance of the water temple. Um, but you do find the hook, the long shot, uh, halfway through the water temple to, to, to complete it. See, so. I should have known it was the water temple, Jeremy, cause I had a long shot on getting this right. Uh, you, you know, and now that he Ooh. says it, I kind of remember it now where, yeah, you can't get to the other side of the water temple because of the heavy boots. You can't jump to the platform. So you need the shot. Okay. <sighs> okay. Water temple. So we have how to train your dragon and water temple so far. All right, guys. Uh, question three. WrestleMania 28 took place on April 1st, 2012 at Sun Life Stadium in Miami between John Cena and what other WWE wrestler? Despite the once-in-a-lifetime tagline, the two would wrestle each other again at <laughs> WrestleMania 29 a year later. Uh, okay, uh, so a couple things rock, here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, first, yeah, um, as soon as you said once in a lifetime, my head went away from The Miz, which was the superior match, frankly, uh, to The Rock. <laughs> so as Jeremy said, and Nick, I, you know this. Yeah, it's 100% yeah, The Rock. It's, it's The Rock. Uh, two, I'm getting deja vu, Jeremy, and I'm just going to say that for now. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm uh, yeah, I, I think I see where this is going. Yeah. All I right. I don't want to so... call theme yet, but. Oh, I'm calling theme. <laughs> yeah, it was The Rock. Uh Nice job to you guys there. I, I figured the wrestle, wrestling questions wouldn't get you since we have a professional wrestler in the in the uh, podcast right now. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so so 27 was The Miz versus The Rock? Or uh, The Miz versus John Cena where The Rock interfered and gave The Miz the, the retention, which led to the once in a lifetime, which led to the twice in a lifetime because <laughs> right. apparently where... you can't have a main event in the early 2010s and not have John Cena be the... Uh, the main yeah. wrestler god well in the wrestlemania Damn, 29 WWE was where the sometimes. rock like tore his abdomen muscles like mid-match oh and kept shit going. right he did like that was nuts like you could see him in pain too like and just trying to hide it all right guys are we on to question four yep all right with inspiration from the fable the ant and the grasshopper by aesop what movie was the second film produced by Pixar Animation Studios in 1998? Oh, uh, it's it's the Woody Allen one that isn't the Woody Allen one. 
Oh, I think I know which this is then. Yeah, I know which one. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Sylvester doing. Stallone, isn't it? If I remember correctly. Yeah, who plays the 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 main protagonist in this then? Oh, uh, it's uh, what's his face from uh, Kids in the Hall. Dave Foley. It is Dave, Dave Foley. Foley. You're right. Yeah, it's yeah. Dave Foley. Uh, so who does John Ratzenberger play? <laughs> Whoever he pick. wants at this point. Uh, yeah, I, I think we're all just shit posting around the fact that we know it's a bug's life. <laughs> yeah, it's a bug's life. It's nice a job. bug's life for us. What? All right. Are we ready for question five? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think from here on out, we're going to get them all. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. All right, here we go. Question five. Monty Teo was a linebacker for what college football team when he became infamous for the girlfriend hoax, which resulted in him making up the existence of a girl who never actually existed? Oh, what team did he actually play for? Because my um, head either goes to Ohio State or uh, the West Coast, but it's not I thought it was locking in for me. University of Michigan, but... Well, that's never the right answer. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot we have an Ohio State fan right? here. Yeah. And Ohio State University might be the correct answer here. <laughs> well, who, Northwestern's Wildcats, Ohio State's Buckeyes. What is Michigan's team? Uh, are they the Wolverines or the Spartans? It's Michigan State that's the Spartans. Okay. okay. They are the Spartans. Well, then, yeah. then it can't be them. Right. Did Manti Teo get drafted to like San Diego? Because I feel like there's a Southern California aspect yeah. to this. He was drafted by San Diego. That's what it is. Okay. I mean, I know the answer. Oh, do you? Because I'm I'm genuinely blanking on what the college was. I, I remember the story. I remember the player. I don't remember what school he was drafted from. Uh, it was Notre Dame. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it was, oh, uh, yeah. Spe- yeah. Yeah, the, the fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for, you got it. You I got remember it, right it so well because it was the year that um, uh, Ryan Shazier was also a, a linebacker from from Ohio State, and everybody at school was like, why is Teo getting all these votes for Heisman when mm-hmm. Ryan Shazier is obviously the better linebacker? And He, he had he a was. great two-and-a-half-year career in the NFL. I had him on my dynasty league. I drafted him uh, with, like, my second rookie pick of our entry draft. Nice. I grabbed him, and who was who was the uh, linebacker drafted the same year who was big in Buffalo before he moved on to be a journeyman? Uh, in 2013 yeah um because i grabbed both of them in that rookie draft kiko alonso oh you know what no it wasn't kiko alonso although he's the guy that you know we're both talking about i was just wrong Mm -hmm. on who i was thinking of uh was it the year before she's here i'm i'm down a rabbit hole don't mind me (laughs) all right are we ready for question six sure all right here we go the mask worn by what cinematic serial killer was inspired by Edward Munch's The Scream, making its first appearance in a film in 1996? Oh, I had to think of the, the character's yeah, I, like I iconic name. Too. I'm like, the, the guy from Scream, the Scream Killer. Um, <laughs> the something, something killer. The, uh, get, yeah, I, I know oh it God, now, though. Uh, oh, I know what it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Nick? I'm trying to remember the name of the character and I can't remember it. I think there's a rapper who's taken this name as their stage name. Am I right on that? Maybe. No, I have no idea. Oh, Ghostface? Right. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Okay, so is that's that's all I needed you okay. to say to confirm. Yeah, it's, I'm pretty sure it's the, the Ghostface killer or Ghostface. Yep, he is just known as Ghostface uh, in the film. That's, that's his actual serial killer name. So yeah, it is Ghostface. All right. Are we on question seven already? We are. All right, guys. 
Question seven. John Parr and David Foster co-wrote what song in 1985? <laughs> you don't have to finish this question. I already got it. <laughs> finish the question. All right. Which was the theme song featured in the coming-of-age film of the same name, starring Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Demi Moore, Andrew McCarthy, and several more? I used to work at a family video uh, back in, like, 2009 for no other reason than I had nothing to do during the day. Uh, and I would... I would close occasionally and the coworker that I would close the store with and I were stupid eighties buffs. Um, but we didn't like the eighties movies so much as we liked the eighties music. So whenever the last customer of the store would leave, uh, we would grab a particular DVD and we would pop it in and in the, like in the in-store TV and sound system. And we would just blast this song on repeat while we did our like hour long closing features. Because if you are not rocking out to John Parr's Man in Motion theme from St. Elmo's Fire, you are not living. That is correct. And I do have a follow-up question for you. How often is that picked at karaoke nights? Or was it picked at karaoke nights? Uh, I was about the only person who did it. Really? Yeah. They're oh, I love very, that song. very rarely done outside of me, but I loved that jam. Um, in case you couldn't tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great song. I love that song. Um, and really encompasses the 80s. CJ right. Mosley. <laughs> That's the linebacker I was thinking of. I'm like five minutes wow. ago. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now that we're back on to question eight from question four or whatever that was. <laughs> Uh, here we go. In tennis, four different types of playing services are used. Clay, hard, carpet, and what other very common surface that has been used at Wimbledon since 1877? The queen? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just I'm burying leads left and right here. Oh, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure I know yeah, this one. I, I think I, I would assume we all do, Nick. Yeah, pretty yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. the, the the gentlemen and gentle ladies of Wimbledon but play on a very it. natural surface. <laughs> yep, they play on grass. Yeah, they play on grass. Yep. Any more uh, affirmations on what that uh, theme is? Oh no! Oh, I think I, we got it. I, yes. Yeah, it's locked in, my friend. But, uh, do you want to bring us on home? Yeah, let's go on a question. Well, this is question nine. Oh no, this is, yeah, question nine is your last hint question, if you will. All right, here we go. In one of the better-known sightings, Prince George of Wales, soon to be King George V at the time, alleged that he saw what fictitious ship while on a three-year voyage in 1880, describing it as a strange red light as a phantom ship all aglow. Hmm. This one gives me a little pause. Fictitious ship. I Like, I'm thinking of famous ghost ships like the Mary Celeste, um, the Titanic, if you watched Ghostbusters 2. Uh... <laughs> I'm what trying was, to think of this too. What was Davy Jones's ship? Oh, in... I know what it is. No, it's yeah, it's Davy, it's Davy Jones's ship. You're absolutely and, right. And why can't I think of the name of that ship from the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise? I know it. It's just um, not jumping to mind. What do birds do? Crap on my windshield. <laughs> oh, okay, I got it now. Yeah, yeah, there you go. yeah. Dead to rights on this now. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll unbury it. Uh, I believe that's the Flying Dutchman. It is the Flying Dutchman. Nice job. And uh, with those nine hints, I think I have an idea of what you all think the uh, the hidden theme round is here. But you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they all might have worked in the game for episode one. I think that's the common bond. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Was God, that already done in episode one? 
So for episode one, I did a mystery theme. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, Jeremy <laughs> participated in that theme. <laughs> oh, no. And it's the exact same theme. But you can never have too many Digimon. Oh, wait. <laughs> or or, or Yu-Gi-Oh's. I think they're Yu-Gi-Oh's, Yu-Gi-Oh's yeah. right? Yu-Gi-Oh's. I feel so stupid. <laughs> it was a year ago. You it think people are still listening ago. from a year ago? You're fine. <laughs> yeah, these are yeah. these are all uh, these were completely different questions. So. They were. I, I think to a one, they were all different. Yeah, these are all uh, class characterization types or whatever in in Pokemans. Yes, all the, all the all the Pokemans. All right. Well, since I redid it on a, a, a common theme round, um, I'll just go ahead and um, distance myself ever from coming back here <laughs> since I ruined my very first time. Not oh, no, all. you can come back and do an entire round about Azerbaijan. <laughs> it would be my pleasure and my hatred. exclusively your pleasure, I think. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, but Chuck has to be on the show. <laughs> Chuck. Oh, yes. Look, if we're yes. kicking people off the show for today's content, uh, Chuck, <laughs> Chuck first and then Jacob. And Chuck, then, you. And then somehow Corey. Yes. All right. Um, yeah, it's we're, we're at that slap happy point at the end of the episode. I think solid, we're pretty much good round. to go. Uh, that is a solid yeah, round of questions. It was. No, it, we. I had a lot of fun with it. And being able to identify the theme early definitely helped, except for the fact that I couldn't remember the name of the damn boat. Well, the other well, one that you guys... I was literally going through it in my head, like, what's left, like, of the Pokemon types? I'm like, I mean, we didn't have fairy, water, yeah, fairy, yeah, uh, <laughs> flying. Yeah, the Notre oh, Dame one uh, did did poke a little um, confusion in you too, I think, because uh, you were trying to tie it into the theme, but you couldn't with the schools you had for the month. Oh yeah, Notre yeah. Dame, yeah. yeah. And I knew it was going to be in the the team's nickname and not the school's name, and I just. I I'm 40. I didn't play the Pokemans. <laughs> you didn't but play Red and Blue. Did. No, I didn't play Red and Blue. Really? Yeah, generational thing for me. I was at that point. I was very much into like RPGs and actually more that era. I was into the like Mortal Kombat and uh, Street Fighter S fighting games. Gotcha. I say because yeah, I came I'm, out. I'm I'm not too far from Jason's age, and I I didn't play, but my little brother did. He was mm-hmm. he's a year younger than me. It was a little bit too much for me i was more into the final fantasy stuff yeah the big mm. problem with with red and, red and blue is they felt like kids games when i was becoming a teenager that's fair i mean i was yeah. i was in seventh grade i was, it came out in 97 also never um, really had a game boy home console for life yeah well that's my repeat round <laughs> it was great it yeah. was great and just because the theme repeated none of the questions did so it wasn't fair like enough you just yeah. But yeah. As I'm soon as I realized this, uh... the answer was the rock, I'm like, oh, God damn it. This is going to be fun. <laughs> oh, well, I had a good time writing it uh, a while back anyway. I think I, I premiered it on my stream in uh, in March. So. Did, the, did the players like it? That's the Yes, they question. did. They did. All right. Well, they then did. fuck us. It's cool. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Yeah. Let's get on out of here. I think I, I think that the tank is empty. Uh, Nick, people like you. Where would they find you? Uh, you can find me on uh, my Wednesday Twitch stream at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, at uh, twitch.tv slash capital trivia. All right. What would that be for people who live in normal time zones? Uh, 7 p.m. <sighs> Fucking East Coast bias, I tell you. Uh, as for me, you can find me in the central time zone whenever I stream. Um, 
whenever that is at the point that this episode comes out at twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage. That's uh, courage with a K underscore with an underscore or um, at my house where I live forever. Uh, I am Jacob Hine with Hindsight Trivia in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find my stream on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central, um, where we have a, a 30 game, uh, or sorry, 30 question game. And then uh, if you're in Louisville, I uh, have a live show on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern. I'm not going to give you a central time because that wouldn't make sense. Um, and uh, we're at uh, Off the Rails uh, Tasting and Wine Depot. And you can find me online at. Uh, uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Hindsight Trivia. All right, and I am Jeremy with Liquid Courage. You can find me on Twitter at JRWG, and you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash LKJeremy. Uh, pretty much a lot. <laughs> um, as I run an AFK stream as well now, which I'm not going to go into on the podcast. Um, you can email us at quadriviapod at gmail.com, uh, quadriviapod on Twitter, quadriviapod on Facebook, and our website that Corey runs, quadriviapodcast.com, that he has actually put a lot of work into. So be sure to check that out. Vote on your keyword challenge and everything there. And, and very uh, importantly, with... submit new keyword challenges. I'm not even kidding. We're practically out. There we go. Um, with that said, uh, Jacob, this is your first time on the show. You want to give us the uh, classic Quadrivia outro? Um. I'm figuring. I think I'm going to be spending probably seven minutes researching and three minutes throwing together some words. Yeah, welcome to, to keyword so. challenge, Jacob. That's, yeah, exactly. that's us every time. It's either <laughs> oh, there's 15 ways I can go with this. Which one's going to be the neatest? Or what the fuck is a teledo? <laughs> <laughs>